Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning. Um, my, name's, uh, my, name's, my name's Todd. I'm part of the team here at Collective Church. Um, Pastor Tyler's taking a breather this week, so he's called up the B team. Please don't leave. <laughs> um, if you're joining us online, it's a pleasure to have you. If you're joining us in person, it's a pleasure to see you. Over the past few weeks, we've been uh, looking at the book of Luke in a series that we've called The Way of Jesus. And um, specifically, we've been looking at what it means to be an apprenticeship to Jesus as he fulfilled his mission from his hometown of Galilee leading up to his final days in Jerusalem. Um, Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. It's called The Story of the Anointing by a Sinful Woman, which is a beautiful illustration of Jesus' grace at work. Um, I want to pray for us and then we can dive in. Um, Dear Lord, I pray that you lead the way. As we continue to try and understand what it means to live like you lived, I ask that you speak powerfully through your word to us this morning. Lord, open up our minds and our hearts beyond our understanding and bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, in order to uh, best paint a picture of where we are in Luke, I want everyone to take a second And think about the last time something came up in your life that was so important that you dropped everything to be there, right? And I mean something that was so important you couldn't help. It was non-negotiable. You had to drop what you were doing and be in pursuit. Uh, This happened to me not, not too long ago. It was a Friday night, and I'm just doing my normal thing on a Friday night, which is like settling into a movie or scrolling YouTube or whatever. And I get a text, which is abnormal because people don't really text me. Um, But anyways, I get a text, and I pick up my phone, and um, my eyes start to light up. And I read the text, and it says, Todd, your pizza is ready to be picked up. I dropped everything in that moment. I couldn't help it. I I was so hungry at the time. Dropped everything, went to pick it up. In the New Testament, we find that people move with the same sense of urgency to get to Jesus. Now, I know you're probably thinking, did this guy just compare picking up a pizza to getting to Jesus? And the answer is, yes, I did. (laughs) Because it's my sermon today, and we get to do that. (laughs) Um, But no, in the New Testament, we find that people move with um, extreme sense of urgency to get to Jesus. It wasn't uncommon for people to leave their families, they would, um, they would shout and scream and crawl in the dirt and they'd sit in the sun for hours just to get an opportunity to witness, um, or if they were lucky, worship Jesus. In the story we're going to look at today, we find a sinful woman. Now, it's important that we understand that scripture is very specific. This woman is described as sinful um, until she actually meets Jesus. Her identity is tied into what she's done. Verse 36 begins like this. One of the Pharisees 
who asked Jesus over for dinner with him. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus over for dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, I'd like to point out, just like uh, myself, Jesus never turned down an opportunity to have a free meal. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> when an immoral woman from the city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Now, one of the first things I love about this story is here we have a woman, right? She, uh, she knows who she is. She knows what she's done. Um, but above all, above all else, she knows where she needs to be. Jesus is close by, and she needs to get to him. And she brings the very best of what she has. Now, Scripture doesn't necessarily describe this woman as poor. She's more so described as a sinner. But we can assume that she doesn't have... She has very few prized possessions, so she grabs, <clears throat> she grabs what she has, and we don't know how she gets the address to where Jesus is, but she finds him, she kneels behind him, she starts weeping, and washes Jesus' feet with her hair. Verse 38 continues, her tears fell on his feet. She kept wiping them off with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and pouring perfume on them. Now, we read this story up to this point, we have an immense amount of empathy for this woman, <clears throat> right? Because she's, um, uh, she's, not only, she's only ever been known as a sinner, not just externally, but internally. And here she is, she's worshiping Jesus, yet she's weeping at the same time. Like, if you were to imagine yourself on your lowest day, overwhelmed with shame, overflowing with tears, um, overwhelmed with sadness, what would that look like for you? This woman is weeping enough that she's able to wash Jesus' feet with her uh, tears, so let's assume that she's ugly crying right now, right? Like, you can just, you can imagine how much fluid it would take for someone to do that. She would have to be ferociously crying in order to wash Jesus' feet. She's experiencing the type of, the type of shame that's not, I've, I've, done, I've done something wrong, it's I am What's wrong? Ever notice um, how there's such a massive weight added when, the, when we tie guilt, or we tie, how there's such a massive amount of guilt added when we attach our identity to something? Like when the script, when the script is changed from, you didn't just tell a lie, you're a liar, right? Or you didn't just offend that person, you're abusive. Um, you didn't just make a mistake, you are a mistake. You couldn't make the right decision. You must be weak. I used to experience this a lot at my old job. I used to be a manager, and um, <clears throat> part of being a manager when we got hired was understanding that your performance was a reflection of you, which isn't uncommon. Like, you, you're, you learn accountability once you get into the workforce, and what you come to realize over time was that your, your performance wasn't just a reflection of you. Your performance was a reflection of a reflection of a, re of a reflection of the people who were above you. So when things were going well, you were celebrated, you were, you know, you got all the recognition, often you maybe got a bonus. But if things were not going so well in your business, you definitely heard about it. And you didn't hear about it delicately. <laughs> Right? Like you'd have, um, it was very common that uh, we used to get these, 
these scores at the end of each month that were a reflection of how well we performed. And if you did well, it was great, but if you were below company average, you would expect a phone call. <clears throat> and that phone call was not always nice. And sometimes it would get so harsh to the point where you would go home and you'd be like, is this, is this what I am? Is this everything that I've amounted to? Is this why I went through so much school just to um, tie my identity to this, to this, um, to this metric. <clears throat> and it took a long time for me to detach myself from these metrics because eventually you would get to the point where your identity would be tied to how much you perform. <clears throat> and here we have a situation where the Pharisee who who's invited Jesus over for dinner starts to call out this woman who is worshiping at his feet. He takes it a step further. He says, <clears throat> um, verse 39 continues, when the Pharisee who invited him, Jesus over, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. And here we have this poor woman. She's tearing herself apart. And from the outside, someone's validating all the negativity she already feels on the inside. Right? A few of us were talking earlier in the week. Uh, anyone here self-critical? <clears throat> yeah. Anyone who's self-critical like myself knows that oftentimes when we're self-critical, we're not always the nicest to ourselves. And we know that. Like, we know how harsh we can be, but we do it to ourselves so we were able to um, digest it. But what's so, what's so much worse is when oftentimes you have someone from the outside who's validating everything you're already feeling so it's that much worse. Things become almost like a two-on-one, which is so much harder to bring yourself back from. Um, <clears throat> now, this demeanor wasn't um, uncommon for Pharisees. For those of you who don't know, Pharisees were religious leaders in the New Testament. They were <clears throat> um, considered men of honor, right, who were oftentimes skeptical of and at odds with Jesus. Um, because throughout his mission, Jesus would dedicate almost all of his time to um, the poor, right? And, um, and Pharisees would often question him, they'd judge him, they'd debate with Jesus over whether he was the true Messiah because Jesus lived his life that was so countercultural to how they viewed someone who was supposed to represent God. And you might think to yourself, well, obviously, like Pharisees clearly just don't know um, Jesus, right? They don't understand him well enough, and if we're not careful, we can actually start to um, embody the same type of stature. What do I mean by that? If you take a second to think about it, Pharisees um, are people who are ultimately disconnected from God's upside-down kingdom. And when I say upside-down kingdom, what I mean is Jesus makes it very clear throughout Scripture that the poor and the powerless will inherit God's kingdom, and this just doesn't sit well with Pharisees who are of a higher social class. And like Pharisees, when we navigate our own lives, sometimes we can forget what it means to um, make way for people to see Jesus because we can be so in pursuit of ourselves. Like we live in a way that is, we can live in a way that's so self-glorifying that we become so concerned with what we need and how we look and how we're perceived that we can allow very little room for grace or empathy. We can have tunnel vision, right? And we see that today even. We have 
um, rapid homelessness, right? We see the poor and the powerless around us all the time, but what do we do? We oftentimes act like they don't exist. We can have tunnel vision. We hear commonly uh, declared in our culture phrases like, you know, just focus on yourself. You do you, right? As long as you're good, that's all that matters. But what that ultimately amounts to is a life that looks more like a Pharisee than the way of Jesus. Often, um, Pastor Tyler will talk about how we live in a post-Christian culture, and there's many different layers to that, but one of the main themes is that our society has rejected the need for Jesus, right? The culture that we live in has come to terms with the fact that unlike the woman in this story who's in pursuit of uh, Jesus, we no longer need to be. We only need ourselves. And you see that declaration everywhere, right? Just love yourself, you know. Feeling anxious, have you tried loving yourself? (laughs) Feeling lost, love yourself. Quit your job, you must not be loving yourself. Um, And to some degree, I do think that's true, right? Like I think it's it's important to have a positive relationship with yourself, but here's my hot take on self-love. If you are in crisis, the self cannot be the problem and the solution. at the same time. Um, Salvation can only come from one place and that's from Jesus. And the woman in this story understands that because she's in pursuit of Jesus. Now the question for us is how do we bridge this gap? Because we live in a culture that's unlike the New Testament now. People aren't dropping everything to get to Jesus. It's very much the opposite. And I would even argue that the world is progressing further and further away from Jesus than ever before. And part of me wonders though if that's because of us, right? If you ask anyone who can't fathom the idea of church, one of the common themes you'll hear is, well, I just don't wanna be judged. And often I wonder like, how do we change that, right? How can I do a better job of exemplifying what it means to be loved by Jesus? Because we see how cunning the devil is at penetrating the lie that we're better off without God. Like, because the devil wants us to think that Jesus' love has to be earned, right? The devil says, it's better that you just look out for yourself. You'll never measure up to what Jesus wants anyways. It's better that you just do you. It's so easy for us to forget that we're madly loved by God. And from the beginning, he invites us into an easier life that we could never come up with on our own. When I think about my, um, my non-Christian friends who would rather just not know Jesus, <clears throat> um, oftentimes our conversations get narrowed down to some circumstance or incident where instead of acting like people who exemplify God, we act like Pharisees. Anyone ever have a moment like that at all? I know I do from time to time, where I'm a little too concerned with what someone's done to extend grace. Or maybe you live your life in a way where you have to receive love before you give it. Maybe forgiveness is hard for you. Maybe you've been hurt by someone and you're living with some trauma that's hard to let go of. Or let's be honest, even as Christians, even though sometimes we know we we sin in the same way our non-church friends do, we think that we exist on a higher moral ground because we come to church. I've got some bad news. Um, The truth is, the world isn't waiting on us anymore, right? In the New Testament, we saw people drop everything and 
and uh, desperately move towards Jesus in 2022, that ship has sailed onto a more easier, self-sufficient form of salvation now. The good news is although the world isn't waiting, the world still desperately needs us. The world needs us to showcase what it means to live a more fulfilled life. This story continues. After Simon the Pharisee openly identifies the woman as a sinner, verse 40 says, and Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And I'm just imagining Jesus in all of his grace, not condemning Simon for kicking this woman uh, while she's down. Instead, he's about to use Simon's ignorance as an opportunity. He goes on to tell a story using a parable. We all know Jesus loves to use parables. In this circumstance, he, he talks about two people who are, are in debt to a banker. He goes on to explain how one man owes a larger amount than the other, yet the banker decides to forgive both men of their debts. Jesus asks Simon, he says, which do you think were, which of the two men do you think were more grateful? Simon replies, well, I guess the one that was forgiven the most. Now, you might think to yourself, what does this financial lesson have to do with this poor woman that we have here? Um, it wasn't until um, I stepped back, I was doing even some research for this sermon, and I came to realize that um, the words debt and the words sin are often used interchangeably in the Hebrew language. They actually mean one and the same thing. If you ever notice, um, some people translate the Lord's Prayer, they'll say, Lord, please forgive my sins. Some people like to say, Lord, please forgive my debts. <clears throat> it's because you can use both words in the same context. Um, now, in this moment, Simon the Pharisee, he thinks that he's answered like a no-brainer question. Right? He's a noble man, so he always thinks he's one step ahead of Jesus. Meanwhile, Jesus is actually painting a picture not of two random people, but actually of the woman and Simon. Two people in debt, two people who have sinned, one greater than the other. Jesus then explains to Simon how this woman, who is kneeling at his feet, who has all those sinned greater, has actually demonstrated more faith than Simon has. Verse 43 reads like this. <clears throat> then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. Now it's important that we pay close attention to Jesus' posture in this moment. He's addressing Simon, but he's looking at the woman. This is important because Pharisees purposely act as if the poor don't exist, right? <clears throat> Um, and in this moment, Jesus calls on Simon to actually look at her, while at the same time, he's fixated on her. This woman is in a room with Jesus, and she's in a bunch of self-righteous men, Pharisees, and she's touching Jesus, and she's let her hair down, which back then would have been considered undignified. Um, and instead of condemning Simon for um, openly addressing this woman while she's down, Jesus invites him to actually look past the labels that have identified her for her whole life. Jesus clearly sees her and sees her differently. Jesus addresses Simon and says, verse 44, when I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Jesus is, Jesus is acknowledging that in this moment, because he can actually see what's taking place in this woman's heart, um, not from what she looks like from the exterior, that what she's doing is actually more, impro- more appropriate than what Simon's done by just simply inviting Jesus over for dinner. Jesus says, verse 47, I tell you, and her sins are, they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me so much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Jesus then said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. What a powerful moment, right? The degree of this woman's love for Jesus has surpassed the degree of her sin. And up to this moment, we read scripture and we think, well, clearly this woman's weeping from a, uh, a place of shame until Jesus gives all of his attention to her, looks at her, sees her for the beautiful person that she is, and in that moment allows the woman to shed the identity of who she once was. At this moment, she's weeping for the first time because she's actually found peace. By this point, the woman has forgotten how much her perfume costs. She forgets that she doesn't belong in a room full of important men. She forgets that she's not supposed to let her hair down. She forgets what it means to be proper. Ultimately, she forgets that she is a sinner. The woman shows up to wash Jesus' feet, and she leaves with clean hands. Jesus looks at the woman and says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, the Pharisees, the Pharisees in the room at this point are frustrated. <clears throat> right? As Jesus is showing grace to this woman, the Pharisees are, are talking behind Jesus' back and saying, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? Like, who is this man that sees the poor? Who is this man who heals the, the lame? Who is this man who teaches to those who aren't worthy of wisdom? It's funny how Pharisees would often approach uh, Jesus as if he's some type of like, interesting teacher. And then Jesus would actually show them what it means to love people, and they'd be like, who is this guy? Right? Um, But sometimes I wonder if we behave like that. Like I wonder if if we delight in learning about Jesus and then not actually living like he asks us. Um, I wonder what it would look like for us to ugly cry in front of Jesus. And most of us go like, Todd, there's no reason for us to go there. You don't want to see me ugly cry. But I think about this woman who's in pursuit, and I can't help but think of what that would look like in my life. Like, the truth is, oftentimes, I think we forget about what it means to surrender everything, what that actually looks like. But then taking things a step further and going, not only do I want to reconstruct my life, but I'm willing to embarrass myself while doing it. Like, what would it look like if we completely shed the well-curated perception of ourselves that we spend so much time, so much energy, hoping to get the approval of and approach Jesus completely undone. You know, oftentimes we, we hear, the, we hear the, um, the phrase Sunday best, right? Sometimes I wonder if Jesus wants Sunday worst. 
you know? Um, And we see that often in scripture, right? We see how Jesus loves us at our most unconventional, right? Sad, silly, filled with sin, whatever. And in the midst of that, he still extends us grace. I wonder if on the outside, we constantly do our best to look and behave like Pharisees, yet on the inside, we're desperate for salvation. What would it look like if we stopped living passively and took action and actually paved the way for people to see Jesus through the way that we actually live our lives? Often we get caught up in what that actually looks like, so I want to suggest a few things, that we, a few ways that we can actually do that. Um, the first is that we can become human lie detectors. What does that mean? It means that when we go and participate in the world as the church, um, we're actively on guard against the way the devil tells us lies. Um, If you ever notice, there are a few common lies that permeate through our society, and I know that we've gone through a few, but I I just want to reiterate. First one, I'm not good enough. Probably the most popular, right? We hear that on the daily, I'm not good enough. In some way, shape, or form, we're marketed to that we're not good enough. Second is, as long as I love myself, I'll be okay. Third, within the context of relationships, if only I was in a relationship, my life would be better. And you can flip that. If only I was single, my life would be better. As long as I feel good, I'll be good. Mention that one. Or maybe if I work hard enough and live up to my own expectations, I'll find validation. We know that the sinful woman in the story was likely taken captive by the devil and his lies. And the truth is, there are so many people out there and in here that need us to step in and just dismantle the lies that we're believing. I had this happen to me earlier this week, actually. I was having a, uh, I was having a bad, bad mental health day. Anyone have one of those? Yeah. Just a bad mental health day. Um, And it's funny how on any other given day, I would have been able to just give someone else the advice that I needed to to hear. But in the midst of it, I just, I just, the first thing I wanted to do was go into, go into hiding, right? We need people, we need people to um, speak truth into our lives when we can't see it. Another way that we can exemplify Jesus is to be graceful. A few of us uh, in the church, we're reading a book called Your Life in Jesus' Easy Yoke. It's by an author by the name of Bill Gaultier. And um, he, ex- he explains in this book how grace can often be interpreted as unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. When I think about that, I think about like undeserved favor. Um, he explains that Jesus works generously through, um, generously and powerfully through grace in our daily lives And we know that for people who don't know Jesus, they think grace is something that has to be earned. Everything is always something that has to be earned. What would it look for us, what would it look like for us as Christians to go out of our way to show up for others? Unmerited favor. Like what better way to dismantle the lie that Jesus' love has to be earned than for us as the church to go go above and beyond for people who don't deserve it? What What if we took it a step further? and said, what would it look like for us to show up for people who have harmed us? Third way we can exemplify Jesus is to forgive. Now I know for some of us, forgiveness can feel like another F word. (laughs) 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 Because it undermines, oftentimes it can undermine 
another word that our culture has become obsessed with, um, more so lately, which is accountability, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> um, we love to hold people accountable, like now more than ever for some reason. Um, and I'd argue that being held accountable isn't enough anymore. We like to stone people, right? If they don't live up to our expectations, we like to just end it. Now, don't get me wrong, I have no, I have no issue with being held accountable. All I'm saying is that I think it's a slippery slope. Um, and why I say slippery slope, I mean once the shoe's on the other foot, all of a sudden we can start to look like the people who need a little forgiveness. <laughs> Um, the Pharisees in the story, you could, uh, you could say, were also obsessed with accountability, right? They couldn't fathom to see Jesus acknowledging this person who clearly had a sinful past. Yet Jesus turned the tables and said, no, no, she's my child. I see past her circumstances. She is forgiven. What would it look like for us to embody that same demeanor, right? Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. I feel like if we were able to embody even a fraction of what Jesus asked us, our world would be in a better place. A common, um, a common narrative that we hear in our day-to-day -day is that our world is becoming, uh, we're gradually progressing uh, towards some sort of like utopia, right? Filled with like an unparalleled amount of self-autonomy and personal fulfillment, faster internet, electric cars, <laughs> the metaverse, right? And I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I, I struggle. I struggle to look at our world and I struggle to get excited about how we're progressing if we look less and less like people who follow the way of Jesus. Except the metaverse, that looks pretty cool. <laughs> um, I say all that to say this. <clears throat> I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you identify with the woman in the story and you need to be reminded that you are tremendously loved by God. And it's not too late for you to pick up everything and just pursue him. Come undignified. Lay everything that you have in front of Jesus and just ugly cry. Or maybe you've been living like Simon the Pharisee and you need to take a step back and remember what it means to actually make way for people to get to Jesus. All I know is that we need to start today. Maybe there's a lie that you've been believing for a long time that you just need to let go of. Maybe you owe someone an apology and then some. Maybe you need to forgive someone that doesn't deserve it, but desperately needs to feel Jesus. Whatever it may be, I want to empower you to take that next step. Whether it's your first time <clears throat> coming to Collective or it's your second or third time or, and you're wondering what that next step uh, might look like, I want to invite you to find me at our table at the back. It's called Next Steps. <laughs> Um, if you need prayer for any reason, if you're online, you'll see a prayer button pop up. Um, and a member of our team will be on standby. They'll pray with you. If you're in the room and you need prayer, our prayer team will likely be behind your seats and um, they would love to pray with you also. <clears throat> Here at Collective Church, we actively believe in being in pursuit of Jesus. We believe in living an apprenticeship and learning how to better exemplify the way of Jesus. Ultimately, we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus. I want to pray for us and then we'll worship together. Dear God, I pray that you come into the hearts of each and every person in this room and online. I'd ask that you move us powerfully and remind us what it means to live 
the way that you require us to. God, I ask that you continue to remind us why it's so important that we follow your way and not our own, not our own way. And God, I'd ask that you give us strength in the areas of our lives that need it most. God, I'd ask that you dispel any lies that we're holding on to this morning, that you would fill our hearts with joy in knowing that we were loved by you first without any requirement or prerequisite. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.